I'm going to welcome the podcast audience because I forgot to record the audio, but that's okay. You can rewatch it live to the podcast people. Um, I mean, again, we don't need more studies to prove what is already common sense that if you have shelter in a home, you are generally going to have better mental health, physical health, social emotional health. I mean, we'll take the, uh, the data any way we can, but it certainly doesn't go against anything we already know. And so if another politician says that, oh, we just need another study, like we need to really look into this, or I am calling for a commission to really look at the impact of housing and how it's affecting our health, just, just tell them to knock it off because we have all the data we need. We've had it for decades, if not centuries. Now, the um, uh, last, maybe I'll cover one more uh, newsy item that I wanted to go into is the firing gate of Dennis White. And so what has been happening is there's been a back and forth about whether or not Kim Janey has the power as acting mayor to fire Dennis White, mostly because the city charter says that if you are acting mayor, you can only address things which cannot be delayed, which obviously is open to interpretation. And there was a last-minute effort of some of Dennis White's families submitted like videos saying that it was actually the ex-wife that was the aggressor. I mean, they're both cops, so if they're both committing a domestic assault, they both shouldn't have been on the force. Doesn't mean that Dennis White is now qualified to be the uh, mayor of Boston. I'm sorry, to be the police commissioner. That seems ridiculous. And they had the hearing today. The first report that came out I saw was from Joe Battenfeld from The Herald, which basically bashes Kim Janey for firing or having the hearing. But let me just read it directly. Acting Boston Mayor Kim Janey hid behind a closed hearing into firing Police Commissioner Dennis White, despite promising complete police transparency. So the second part is a knock on Kim Janey trying to have police uh, transparency, saying that this hearing to fire Dennis White should have been in public, but it wasn't. Which, yeah, should have been in public. Um, absolutely. I, I want a front row seat to the inner workings and the conversations behind the mayor of Boston and the suspended Boston police commissioner. So it's perhaps I reported it uh, poorly on the TikTok And now I'm looking at it, and I, I read, or how I interpreted this, was that Kim Janey did fire him. Let me just read. Still, the taxpayers and citizens of Boston deserve to get a full airing of the white fiasco, since they're the one paying the bills. Typical, like, Harold stuff. We need to hear more than that, and it can't come too soon. Janey released only a brief statement on Wednesday, experts, to say she'll make a decision after careful deliberation of what transpired in the closed door hearing. Okay, so this was just a hearing and she has not actually officially announced if there is going to be a firing. So I misreported that on TikTok, I apologize. I'll, I'll correct it tomorrow. But, all right, before we go to the video segment for today, I just wanna quickly see if this works. And I'm actually gonna play, just for the people watching, 
a TikTok or two. Out of my own curiosity, if the audio and all that stuff works. Let's see. self-indulgent and I apologize um, had a rough day and I just figured I wonder if I could actually play TikToks on the live stream and it looks like I can so that's good even though all of these frame rate droppings is driving me crazy but I don't know how to fix that right now or at all to be honest that's like a internet thing but all right moving to the video segment so I have what I believe is the second half of a hearing that I think I sped through but didn't actually cover on this program yet. And this was one of the at-large forums held by JP Progressives. And so, again, if you're on TikTok, I can't recommend it enough. Switching over to Twitch, YouTube, or Facebook to watch it so you can kind of see the people. I have not gone through this, at least recently, so I'm going to live react. Might be a little edgy as I, like, cut to different things, but that's okay. It's the nature of the show. We're still in soft launch. Zoop. Um, seeing one question, more info on mass and cast before I get to this. So the last update I have received was, I think, on Monday, which was basically there was a wave of mass arrests down mass and cast. Um, they said they were targeting, like, the big drug dealers. I mean, I automatically have to call BS on that. Most of the people who sell also use, and they use selling to subsidize their habit, and so when they are labeling them as um, the major drug dealers, it might just be somebody who had too much on them, and then classify them, or it might just be somebody who also uses, who deals on the side, again, to subsidize the habit. Uh, but if anyone thinks that you're going to stop drug use through arrests, I mean, there's... 60 years worth of data on that but so that, that's the last update i saw but i'm always uh, happy to keep going through it and all right let's look at some housing lightning round let's see the candidates let's see if we can fill out our bingo cards everyone gets four at large votes julia mejia is an automatic locked in so we got three up to grabs there are some at large candidates that i've been impressed with there are some people that people i respect really like um, I could probably guess who I'm going to vote for, but that's not fun. Let's keep listening and learning and see who should we, uh, who earns our support. Next question. Do you support rent control? Yes or no? Oh, hold on. This is a great question. I'm just, uh, fixing some things on the live stream. Give me a second, everyone. I didn't realize it would be that big. Or why it's that big.
Almost there. We are almost there. Okay. And this is Melissa. Well, we have a yes for David Halbert, Julia Mejia, Domingo De Rosa, um, and a yes from Alex Gray, leaving with two no's from Aaron Murphy and James um, Collymore. Okay, Alex Gray supports um, rent control. That's really good to know because I've seen him be hot and cold with some issues. Dominguez, David Halbert, both say yes. That's fantastic. I've heard very good things about both of those candidates. I'm glad to see that they support rent control. Aaron Murphy, you can uh, write off. Uh, it's not somebody worth considering your vote. Do you support the renewal of Boston's condo con conversion law? which affords residents of covered properties a notice period, right of the first refusal to purchase their unit, relocation assistance, just cause eviction, and relocation benefits if their unit is converted to a condominium. Let's see what Aaron and We have a yes from, from Domingo De Rosa, mm -hmm. James Colomon, Alex Gray, Aaron Murphy, David Halbert. Okay, I was going to say. So all candidates. Yeah. Responded that yes. would have been my guess. That would have gotten a sweep. Next question. Would you support a tenant opportunity to purchase ordinance, enabling tenants would wish to remain to purchase a building if the owner seeks to put it on the market? And we have a yes from Julia Mejia, Domingo De Rosa, Aaron Murphy, Alex Gray, David Halber, and James Colomon. So all candidates responded yes. And just to quickly talk about that, um, I'm Bostopian News on everything. You'll find me. I got like one follower on it. It's fun. Um, the tenant's right to purchase. So everyone, most people support that. I do as well. However, there is an obvious kind of failure of it, which is how many tenants have the ability to purchase. Like everyone has technically the right to go buy a Lamborghini, but very few people have the actual ability to do so. So what a tenant's right to purchase does is to basically say, if your property, like if this rental unit that I live in is going to be sold the, to somebody else, my landlord has to like come to me first and say, hey, are you, this is your home, I'm gonna sell it though. So if you can get me uh, 840 grand then it's yours, otherwise I get to sell it. Which, I mean, thank you for asking, but the idea that I don't even know what percentage to put on it. Less than 1% might be able to get that type of capital uh, together. And so, I mean, this points to a much larger concerns of the shift towards public housing, the shift towards a public bank to make this type of funding available. But it's very easy to support the policy knowing that it's not actually going to really impact things. Because at the end of the day, if you're selling the property, what do you care? Uh, who's paying you? I'm, I'm so sorry for jumping in. Could all candidates put that on one more time so I can get the screenshot with everyone's response? Thank you very much. Got it. Thank you very much. No Next question. Do you support requiring that a majority of new affordable units be built on site in order to ensure communities are diverse and integrated? They're all going to say yes. And we have a yes from David Halbert, Julia Mejia, Domingo De Rosa, Aaron Murphy, James Colomone, and Alex Gray. So again, all candidates responded yeah. yes. No one's going to say no to that one. And now we're going to a deep dive question where each candidate has 60 seconds to answer. Um, I'm going to start with Alex Gray. The question is, 
If you had to prioritize one policy to address our affordable housing crisis, what would it be? Yeah, so I'll, I will talk about affordability. I think the first generation homebuyer program launched by Mayor Walsh recently is a great way to allow families to, to grow wealth and start the trajectory of financial security for their family. But we have had city council candidates uh, for years talk about affordable housing, and that's so important, and we need people. I am going to be a city council candidate who will also talk about accessible housing. In America, 1% of housing is physically accessible to people with wheelchairs. And if you think it's hard to find a place that's affordable, think about how hard it is if you're a senior or if you're a person with a disability to find a place that is both affordable and accessible. So I will fight for affordability, but I will fight more for accessibility. Lastly, on rent control, I support the state uh, legislation for a local option. I think we need to have a longer conversation about specifics for rent control in Boston. All right, so we hedges um, that support of rent control, I mean, which is why I kind of brought up, oh, Alex supports it, interesting kind of hedged the bet there. But to address the first part, I am fine with, do not mind, support having as one sliver of your overall housing policy to be about, and thank you to whoever just subscribed, uh, to be about first-time home buyers. However, you will never, ever, 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 ever be able to do that on scale to make any noticeable difference in terms of housing policy, soaring rents, whatever you want to call it, displacement in the city. You just can't. There is not enough funds available and not enough houses available to think that if we just allowed more people to buy homes, things would be better. That system is completely broken. All that really is about is trying to widen the little ladder just that much just to allow maybe a couple of dozen maybe a couple of hundred people to be able to buy their own homes but you will never be able to do it in a way that has any noticeable impact it's just almost like saying we are going to have more lottery tickets so vote for me and you know this year there may have only been 10 lottery tickets next year there's going to be 15 and you could be one and then you get enough people to believe that if they widen that ladder a little bit, if they have just a couple more lottery tickets that are winners, maybe I'm going to get it because that's all I can do is just bank and pray. It's a good way to get votes. It's a good way to sell a dream. However, it is not at all a realistic solution to the housing crisis we're here in Boston, period. Thank you. And just to clarify on the last lightning question, um, um, Aaron, was that a yes or a no? Do you support requiring that a majority of affordable, affordable units be built on site in order to ensure communities are diverse and integrated? Okay, I just wanted to make sure we had your response. Um, thank you, Alex. And next, Dave Howard. Yes, so there's one area that I think we should prioritize in terms of housing affordability. It's making sure that we have more housing. It's critically important. That's why I'm in support of what I call smart density, making sure that we're adding more buildings to the unit, excuse me, to the city, uh, but doing so not in just a way where we're haphazardly throwing them out with no kind of central planning, making sure that we're siting large buildings so that we can have more units. And once again, not just single occupancy units, but ensuring that we have family sized units so families can stay and can grow here in the city of Boston and siting those next to major thoroughfares, next to major public transit access points so that we're ideally limiting the number of folks who are coming to communities and also bringing cars and needing and necessitating cars uh, in our community because we know that has such a detrimental impact on our overall quality of life, particularly our environment and our health. So I think if we have real intentional planning, uh, the kind that would call for the BPDA to be broken up into two separate agencies, quite frankly, we can make the kind of decisions and design for our city where we're going to be able to have more units, more affordability, more accessibility. Uh, the first couple of parts, I th 
a um, little bit of fluff, not a hard policy. If you mention breaking up the BPDA, you are you basically automatically have my vote. And so he, uh, David Halper, just mentioned breaking up the BPDA, Boston Planning Development Agency, into two different groups. I heard him mention earlier in that. I, I had it sped up, and I forgot that he's a little bit of a fast talker, myself included, so it's not shade, David, um, about having a, a vision for the city, an actual plan for the city, something we don't have. Breaking up the BPDA, that's all I needed to hear. So good, good answer, David. Win. And William here, you're up next. Thank you. Um, so I, I'm just going to give you a few, just one. I think that, you know, uh, I'm for uh, 50% IDP raising it up. Um, I, I know that's crazy, but I think we need to reflect what the city needs. I also believe that we need to lower the threshold when IDP kicks in. And for one of the things that we've been doing in our office is really focusing on civic engagement and the voices of the people in the planning and development process. Oftentimes, we hear from folks that things are being done to them without them. So we're in the process right now of creating a citywide steering committee to help inform our planning and development process so that we can create real meaningful pathways to civic engagement. And one thing else that I'd like to add as far as some of the work that we've done in our office is through our language access and information justice efforts, we have been fighting on the council to ensure that we're not only just offering translation and interpretation, but that we're really super mindful of the fact that um, community voices need to be deeply rooted and centered in all decision-making processes. All right, great answer from Julia. As I would expect, calling for 50% IDP, um, inclusionary development policy, how many units in a building, if it's a, of a certain size, need to be not at market value, but at affordable levels. I've talked ad nauseum about why that affordable uh, threshold doesn't actually mean what you think it is. She addressed that in the second part. All good stuff, Julia. Thank you. Erin Murphy? Uh, yes. Oh, this should be so good. as a renter myself, I know firsthand Shocking. how increasingly expensive and unaffordable the city is. And fifth generation here in Boston and my young adult children, it makes me sad that they may be, may be the first in our family to not be able to afford to stay here. So it's definitely an issue that we have to address. I do think we have to look at the resources the city already has and work on that. I'm in favor of 100% affordable units on a lot of the city-owned lots across the city. Repurposing abandoned or underdeveloped buildings is another issue, another thing I am in favor of, in favor of the linkage program. But I think it's also a conversation about our, that's not me. That's system, not my mic. our workforce development and job training to make sure that our children are growing up in a city that we're giving them the tools to get jobs and be trained so that they can have high-quality paying, good-paying jobs to be able to afford. As a single mom and a union member in the Boston Public Schools, I was able to afford to stay here, even though rent is increasingly here. Um, surprisingly good answer from Erin, to be honest. Um, I would love to look more into her status as a renter. I mean, she brought up having 100% affordable units on city-owned property. That is fantastic. That is wonderful. That is what seems like common sense. And she brought up, I believe, city buying, repurposing old buildings to have more housing. That's good. That's surprising. I mean, she's ending it about some sort of skills training for her students, which I don't understand in terms of a housing policy perspective. But that was um, a surprisingly good answer, Aaron. Good job. Thank you, Aaron. James Colliman. Thank you, Melissa. I strongly believe that we should use affordable um, housing in a smarter way. When we think about affordable housing, we want to make sure that city-owned land that are throughout the city are repurposed for that fact. As a renter as well myself, I know how hard it is to stay in the city, especially in a city where there's a requirement for people working for the city. I want to make sure that we have to rethink so many other things. 
um, when you have housing in low-income neighborhoods, you further segregation. We need to stop that. We need to make sure that with $4 trillion on the on, on, you know, right now from the federal government, government coming down, we need to make sure that we think all the ways to really find the best way to, for commuters so they have better ways they can say in neighborhood cities they don't have to come and take the stuff for the housing. And students, perhaps they should think about students and they take a big bulk of the housing market that we have right now. Perhaps they should stop thinking of building for such just students. Great. I didn't hear a single policy that he was talking about, to be honest. I don't know if anyone else caught it. Uh, this is an at-large forum from uh, the JP Progressives. They were discussing housing policy, and I was either praising them or mocking them. And Domingo de Rosa, you're up next. Right, what do you got, Domingo? Yeah, there's a few things we can address. Uh, I'll start off with the IDP. Um, that's something within the city council's control policies that we can work on and make changes. I will also advocate at the state and federal level. As you know, the AMI is a federal um, regulation, and it will take you know collective effort uh, between local, state, and federal um, representatives to make sure that we advocate at that level, increase the visibility um, of how we go about doing it and including others. I also like to talk about you know the city lots that we have. The city stopped building public public housing, uh, and we need to get back to that. We need to be building housing that the city controls where we can accommodate individuals who are making $33,000 a year. That's the average income for folks in Roxbury and Dorchester versus one hundred and seventy on the waterfront. So you know, for us to really um, address a lot of these issues, there's other components that come into it. And you know, our education and economic opportunities also line into it. But to stick to the policies that we're talking about, we can start off by working on the IDP and making sure that a lot of these developers stay within the guidelines as they um, do. And we can increase them by increments depending on the size of the project, like the dot block that went from 300 something. And we can. All right, Domingos, great job. Named a lot of concrete policy proposals. Uh, you mentioned public housing in a conversation like this. You almost always get my vote. Um, I've definitely watched this video before, so if this is redundant to any of the viewers, I apologize, but I watched so many of these that they all send, ask him to blur together. That was a great answer from Domingos. Um, thank you, Domingo. And now we are moving to round three. Um, we are going to be talking about police, and I'm going to all pass right. it over to Ed. Thank you. Okay, thank you, Melissa. Uh, so we're going to have three yes or no questions, followed by one Open-ended question that you'll have a minute to answer. The first yes question is, do you support closing the Boston Police gang database? Let's see what the conservatives have say. The yeses are Julia Mejia, Domingos de Rosa, Alex Gray, James Coleman. Uh, I can't tell. Uh, David is, yeah, David Halbert is yes. And the, the no is Aaron Murphy. And I'm, I'm so sorry, <laughs> candidates again. Can we get all of those up on the same time? Some um, of yours disappear. Some of them stay on the whole time. It depends on what yeah. you're doing. Uh, funny so, like, if you ever watch these things live, the candidates are literally holding up cards. And some of the candidates, like, almost cheat like a test. They'll look at what everyone else is doing and then go for it, like, depending on what lane. It's, it, I mean, it's hilarious and a bit embarrassing. Erin um, supporting this is no surprise. Basically, this is the question is essentially do you believe that? Um, young black men should be surveilled at all times throughout the city. And if you say, yes, I, I think we need to have cameras on um, everyone um, who are black or brown, especially uh, young boys, you support this if you think that is a kind of gross, despicable, inhumane policy, which is also a waste of money that doesn't do anything but harass an entire population, you're against it. So not surprising that Aaron would support it. Thank you very much. Um, Julia and Alex, if we could get yours, thank you very much. Okay. We all set, Rebecca? Yep, got it. Okay. Uh, so the second yes or no question is, do you support ending information sharing between BPD and ICE? 
see what the moderates the yes, do. Yes, it's Alex. In the yeses, is Alex Gray, James Coleman. Uh, keep your votes up so I can see them. Uh, I see Domingos de Rosa, Julia Mejia, David Halbert, and Aaron Murphy. So all yeses. Ah, six yeses. So. And the third yes or no question the, is: the Would you advocate for the reallocation of money from the Boston Police Department budget into reinvestment in communities? Julia, yes. And the yeses are Domingos, yes. David Halbert, Julia Mejia, Domingos de Rosa, James Coleman, and the two no's are Alex Gray and Evan Murphy. And Rebecca, are you? Ah, uh, see, Alex. Alex went back to the uh, conservative lane. With the reallocation of money. Of course, Aaron, again, if you support video surveillance of black teenagers, you're going to support uh, giving police as much money as they want, plus a little extra. Alex, disappointed. We all said, have, you, are this, have they been up on the screen long enough? Yes, sir. We got them all. Thank you. Okay, great. Okay, now we're out of yes, no. Now you get to expound on your views a little bit. And, and the question is, what would your approach to public safety policing and spending be as an at-large city councilor, given that you only have partial control or very limited control over both the budget and the police contract. So given that this you know, what your what role you is, what would your approach be? And uh, we'll get to start off with David Halbert. Yes, thank you. This is an important, deeply personal issue. You know, as a black man living in the city, uh, issues around public safety and are part of the conversation that we're having not just locally, but that we're having all across the country. As a city councilor, I would advocate for a few things. The first is making very hard decisions as to what we would vote yes or no within the budget relative to public safety and where that money's going and where it shouldn't be going, quite frankly. We need to have our answer to every problem that's coming from our society not be an officer armed with a gun. We need to make sure that we're investing in things like mental health services, like substance use counselors, like social workers and other clinicians, and making sure that we're addressing them as equally and equitably as possible. But also, this speaks to the larger conversation why we need to have a change in our budget and authority process within City Hall and within the City Council, so that City Councilors can have more of a direct influence on this. I think this speaks to all this and the fact that we need to get things under control, like our rampant overtime spending that we've seen is really crippling and taking away from, once again, the resources that need to go towards so many other things. And so that's why I'm in favor of changes such as reducing the amount of guaranteed overtime hours uh, as part of the negotiations that the city has during the collective bargaining process. And it would be informing the mayor and others about that. Okay, thank you, David. All right, David brought three things I got to hit on, even though I might save the overtime because everyone's going to bring that up. Uh, first thing he mentioned was not having a guy with a gun come to everything. And that is such a great framing. That is how everyone should be discussing this issue around defunding the police, which is basically saying that there are some situations where you don't need a guy with a gun to go respond to it. You just don't. And that corresponds with a lot of what we ask police officers to do, whether that is going because there's like a house party or a traffic stop or you're going to a school. You do not need someone with a gun to go do that. So all of those functions that we are currently asking police officers to do, we can take them, remove them from the portfolio of the police. In doing so, we can decrease their budget because we're no longer asking them to do all those things. Create new jobs, good paying jobs, for people who are much better trained, do not um, serve the function of the police in our society, and can actually handle the situations much better even for less money because of how much exorbitant amounts of money we give police officers. So that's great. Love the framing, not somebody with a gun. Uh, he talked about budget control. Uh, last I checked this November, people of Boston, we get to vote on a ballot initiative which will change the city charter. 
allowing it so that city councilors they can't raise how much money is in the budget so if like the mayor says it's a uh what's a realistic number <laughs> this is not realistic 50 billion dollar budget that's more than the entire state budget but if the city says 50 billion dollar budget uh the city councilors then can't say no it's 80 uh, billion. But what they can do is they'll get to change the allocation of it. Whereas currently, the only thing our city council can do is straight up vote yes or no on whether or not they should pass a budget. The third thing he, um, he's talked about reducing or capping overtime, because right now that overtime number is a goal that they set. They say, please try to stay at 60 million for overtime. Please go over it every year. They did last year. I, I, I hate the framing of that's where we should get the money from, OT, because of the reason I just expressed, it's a limitless pit. But good answer, uh, David. Um, sorry, can we pause just one sec? We've got a timer issue. Oh, timer um, issue. You just give us. Okay, it's good. You have, you have more time to think. You got, you got a few minutes to relax. Fast forward. Well, we do start, start with a question with Julie McGill. Let me get you okay. All right? Ba -ba -da -bum. No, no, no. We're just freezing everything. You're going to get all your time. I think we'll have to do it manually. Um, so I'm going to just put it on my. My phone and I'm, I'm going to give you a 10 second warning. You can do it. So we figure this out. You can do it. Okay, so this is one minute. Um, uh, go ahead. All right. So the question is given your constraints as a counselor around budgeting and the police contract, what would your approach be to the issues? Yeah, I'm happy to say that I think our office has been one of the leading voices on all things that deal with police reform. Um, we actually, during the budget season, were fighting for a 15% reallocation, while most of the advocates were pushing for 10. Again, I think that the harder we go, the, the more likely we are to get to that middle ground. Um, and so just so you all know, in terms of some of the work that we've done, we filed the Civilian Review Board alongside Councilor Arroyo and Campbell, and our office fought to have a youth on that board and that position to get paid. We also supported the ban on chemical weapons. We filed an ordinance on non-police alternatives to 911, and we are now currently fighting mm -hmm. that alongside with other advocates. Okay, thank you. Uh, and Aaron Murphy? Um, so Julia spent most of her time doing what everyone does who's the incumbent in office, which is basically you highlight what you've already done, not talking about what you will do. That's just good uh, politics. But she mentioned... Um, the more we go, the more likely we are to hit the middle ground. And this is a, an understanding of power that Julia has, and it's the reason that a lot of uh, socialists and leftists in the city like her, is because what you normally find, and this is especially true at the national level in politics, is they will enter the negotiations at what they want, or just under what they think is reasonable. When, when in reality what you want to do is enter into any negotiation double what you're actually hoping, expecting to get, because then you negotiate down to that middle point. If you start with your initial ask, if you start with what you really want, you have nowhere to go but down. So you always inflate it. Inflate it 20%, inflate it 200%. Go as high as you can and defend that hill, knowing that if it does go down, you're at least going to get as close as you can possibly get. Great understanding of power. Who is this? Make sure you unmute. Not sure how that happened. Sorry. So I've lived here in the city my whole life, raising my children here and campaign. Being a school teacher, I know because I know families all across the city door knocking on thousands of doors already this time around this campaign and talking to neighbors all across the city, no matter what neighborhood they live in. Public safety is the number one issue. It comes up every time. It often comes up before we talk about schools and education. And so I do believe that we need to 
expand our cadet program and our as a city councilor i will work on the staffing issue this forced overtime many of the police officers don't even want to force overtime when we hire only 30 new police officers we have 11 districts across the city that's only one more police officer per shift we're not addressing the fact that we need more police officers we also i would support also the community in youth leadership funding and other um but we need to support our police department with the staffing also i believe Thank you, Aaron. All right, so Aaron does uh, two lies or two misunderstandings, I will call it. The first is she said the number one uh, issue is public safety. From the poll that I went into in the first segment, that's actually not true. From the data we have, housing is the number one thing. And the second is the conflation with public safety is best achieved by more police, which is why the second part of what she discussed was getting more new officers getting, um, expanding the new class. Because in her mind, having more police means that you will have safer streets. And there is actually no correlation between those two things. The sources of crime, as every sociologist who researches this understands, primarily comes from when you have a large amount of unemployed men in a congregate area. Mostly because if they are unable to get financial assistance through legal means, they enter into black markets to make money to make their living for themselves or their family. Now, because a black market does not have the authority of the state, you do not use a courthouse to deal with uh, solutions, you have to use violence. That is how black markets are basically enforced is through violence. And so you generally always see violence go up in neighborhoods, again, where there is high, concentra uh, high concentrations of unemployed men. Nothing to do with cops. Thank you. Uh, same question for James Coleman. Thanks, Ed. I strongly believe that everyone should feel safe wherever they call home in Boston. Needless to say, we need the police, but the police took an oath, they take an oath to protect and serve. As a black man living in the city, I can tell you that I've suffered my share of racial profiling, despite the fact that I have many friends that are cops that I respect. Most of them are good, but at the same time, I need to make sure that we have uh, a police department that protects the communities they are serving. I feel that we need to have more conversation about community policing. We need to hire more police officers. So we have to make sure that we have better conversation and making sure that, again, that uh, I should feel safe wherever I am. I remember taking my son to a Black Lives Matter uh, rally. And when the NPR interviewed him, he's 10 years old. And they asked him, why are you here? And he said, well, I'm afraid I may be next. We should not have that in the city of Boston. We are better than that. And I'm counting on Boston. Thank you. Same misunderstanding, saying that we need the police, trying to again match public safety comes from police, which is absolutely no correlation between the two. In fact, most studies show that the more exposure you have to the police, the worse it is for your public health. Um, but he also brings up the phrase community policing. And I've read quite a bit on police abolition, the role of the police in society. I have not yet found a definition of what people are effing talking about when they say we need community police. We need to go back to community policing. I have no idea what that is. It generally just seems to be a phrase that people, it just sounds nice, it sounds good, but there is no concrete policy definition, proposal, initiative that actually separates what is the difference between community policing and other forms of policing. Now, what most people contrast it with the policies that I do know is what's called broken window policing, 
which is when you over-enforce minor crimes under the false assumption that if you go really hard with minor crimes, it stops larger crimes from happening. That is what broken windows policy is. It's been proven time and time again to be completely BS. So maybe people are just saying, well, before that we had something called community policing, but there was no golden age of, of policing. Police have always served the same function in society, period. Thank you, James. Uh, same question for Domingo Sturosa. Make sure you unmute, Domingos. Hi, right, guys. Back again. I know this uh, conversation is very touchy for a lot of folks. Police are required um, to keep order in the city of Boston. As you can see, we have multiple issues across our city um, dealing with public safety. 19% of the budget uh, covers that. So what I, what I want to come from is that, I, you know, from the eye of the actual individual who, who's the employee of the city, uh, the police officer, a lot of them are suffering from mental illness themselves, from being stressed out or being on a job 16 plus hours. Uh, and on top of being dads and moms and so forth. So our, our first responders are tapped. They're like exhausted. Um, they're trying to keep order the best they can with what they have. They've asked uh, for more training um, from the ones that I've spoken to. They're asking for the, for the actual academy to give them more than um, the short amount of time they spend there. What we need to do as far as the budgets, we allocate funds um, where it falls on line items, where it goes into um, violence prevention, uh, community policing, and so forth. They make sure that those programs are actually being um, accountable for the programs they serve. Um, Thank you, Domingos. Uh, same question for you, Alex. Uh, yeah, okay, we'll, we'll let Alex answer. I mean, Domingos brought up again community policing. Love to have a conversation about what that means and what that would look like for the city of Boston. I think it's a BS phrase, which is used to deflect. I don't actually mind the framing around this uh, of his answer, which is to say that the police officers as individuals are not bad people. They are human. They are exhausted. We're asking them to do too much. I think if you take that framing um, and then twist it to, and that is why, again, we need to have pro professionals in mental health deal with mental health crises. We need to have other people deal with responses that do not require a person with a gun. As long as you make those two connections, I think that's a more than fine framing because it gets the policy that I am ultimately advocating for. Um, any promotion of more training, it just doesn't work. There's been... Many of the high-profile instances of police violence that have shocked and galvanized the nation over the last year came from, like, either the person themselves was a trainer for these type of, like, de-escalation, racial sensitivity stuff, or the person just went through the class. It doesn't do anything. There's no evidence to show that any level of training stops it. And so it's just, um, it's a fantasy. And it's, it's one that people always bring up. But again, I don't know. As long as Dominguez gets to the point that he did, which is to say the real allocation of funding, I'm happy, as long as that real allocation is not from one wing of a police department to another wing of the police department. All right, Alex, well, you I jumped go. into this we'll race in September, up. and I've had thousands of conversations with people about their feelings about policing in Boston, and a couple of concerns always come up. First is accountability. People, by and large, very much want greater accountability. They're afraid what happened to George Floyd could happen in their neighborhood. They're frustrated with some of the behavior of police officers uh, when they're not on the job, as we've seen recently in the headlines. So they want a strong Office of Police Accountability, which is up and running. The city council can fund that. They want subpoena power uh, for people to be called out for what they've done wrong. But I also talk to a lot of folks in neighborhoods where crime occurs, and they're afraid of the idea of moving money away from policing. So I'm a big proponent of change, I believe, in mental health clinicians taking the lead, social workers taking the lead when possible. We can talk about traffic stops and moving that. But I just think sometimes when we talk about funding or defunding, we 
turn the conversation in a way where people who are open to change get scared. So I, I want to talk about the specifics. Okay. Okay, that was Alex Gray. Uh, thank you. All right, I am laughing because that reminded me of, of a quote from The Office when, like, Jim and Andy are in Michael's office and they're trying to say, like, who's in charge? Well, who gets paid more? And then Michael Scott says, um, like, your pay is just different. Like, oh, yeah, it's not, like, your pay is not more or less, it's just different. I ruined the joke. Whatever. Everyone. Somebody Google it. But... Um, for Alex's response to be like, well, you know, I've heard some people who say that um, they don't like the role that the police play in their society and we need to redirect the funding elsewhere. I've talked to some people that are scared of that. So I'm going to say we just need change. Um, which, again, I'm sorry. All this is about is the re allocation of resources, period, end of sentence. It's either that line item is going to go up, please get more funding, or that line item is going to go down. Politics, as it is practiced in this country basically everywhere, is how do you determine what to do with your resources? What process do you have to make that determination? And where do the resources inevitably end up going? And when we are talking about city budgets, as your role as a city councilor, you have to determine where you are allocating your resources. And that change is either going to go to the police or it's going to go elsewhere. It is literally a zero-sum game. It is literally a line item that you have to manage. You cannot hide behind, you just want change. Your pay is not more or less, it's just different. That was the quote. But, okay. Um, we're going to end it there. Uh, for the t TikTok people, I can't say it enough. I'd swing over to Twitch or YouTube so you can see the visuals. You can probably hear it a little bit better. Uh, also a Facebook page, all the good stuff. But I know the TikTok community likes it. I'm still in soft launch for this project. Um, I'm cutting a lot of clips, so if you do follow me on TikTok, you'll get to see more little uh, minute snippets of this. I really want to know how bad the visuals were, because according to Streamlabs, the frame rate was horrible, even though I reduced the frame rate to 30 seconds, whatever. This is all internal baseball. Podcast people, I am sorry I, I waited in, to click record for the first segment, so you got to watch it. you got to go back and watch the tape. It's the only way.